somewhere in there, there's a negative number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I live in California. So right now we get the hot winds and the Santa Ana wind, and it's really bad for people who have sinus problems. So oh. that's, yeah, it's going to be Santa Ana winds all week long. So. <laughs> and is it the, so I don't, I'm not familiar with those kinds of allergies because we don't have that here. Is that like from the, the winds that you get, they like bring in dust? Yeah, dust, wind, everything, pollen, you name it. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that, so we, we get allergy season here in like usually it can start in May or April or May, maybe June. And then it goes usually into October, but you can cure it if you can get honey from honeybees, like honey beekeepers within about a mile of your house. Oh, and wow. And then if you take a, a spoonful every day for three to six months, you will like get rid of every single seasonal allergy. I got my son off of six allergy over the counter meds by using honey and um, now he has no allergies. Yeah. See here in California, we always have sad out of woods. So uh, all year round. And then you know, we had the fires recently. So to add on to that, and then the, we hardly ever get snow. So last week was the first time we got snow in Long Beach and and yeah it was weird so we had all kinds of weird weather you know we weren't experiencing like you guys were so we're like should we wear shorts should we wear tank tops should we wear flip-flops what should we wear should we wear jacket we're not used to all this crazy weather so it's like (laughs) (laughs) you'll you'll be fine If, if it gets bad you can always move to Wisconsin we have plenty of room and not half of that crazy Oh, there you go. Well, my name is Michelle Padilla. I'm the host of The Order Show, and I have Sarah, and she's going to tell me a little bit what you do. And I think Matt said you were a coppersmith, am I correct? Yes. So how did you get started in that? Well, I am, uh, I was writing, I write novels. I'm a fiction and nonfiction writer. Um, And so that was my first uh, accidental four-way into metals, I guess. Um, okay. Only because I was researching and I realized that the the characters I was writing about in the 1800s, they, all the women, I like to give voices to the women who you don't normally hear about, the kind of the average woman. And right. I was like, wow, they lived like their entire lives stuck to the kitchen and everything important happened in the kitchen. All the important conversations happened in the kitchen and all their revelations happened in the kitchen. And so what did they use in the kitchen? So I'm writing these, these, you know, pieces of each novel. And then I realized that the equipment that they were using a hundred, 150 years ago would have been made by someone down the street. They right. would have walked and got their teapot fixed by a coppersmith or a tinsmith or even a blacksmith. And I started to go, huh, like you can't get that anymore. You have to like buy it from China. And, you know, we should be able to like know where our cookware is coming from the same way we ask where our food comes from. You know, where, where did my cow eat grass and is my chicken, you know, free range and what did they, what are they eating and how are they treated? And that same conversation kind of extends to our cookware, which is where the chemical change happens to our food. And I was like, well, in the old days, they knew who made their cookware. They knew what it was made out of. They know, they knew everything about it. And now we don't, we should totally have that again. And I like, just, I called my husband and I said, I want to start a cookware line. And he's so, so long suffering. He's like, okay. (laughs) And so I just started making these you know, I wanted everything you would have found in a traditional American pioneer kitchen in my cookware line. And I wanted it all to be made by, 
you know, local artisans, mom and pop American, you know, everything sourced in America. And, um, and so then fast forward, maybe half a year, I, of course, am still researching, well, how did they make it? (laughs) I should see how they made the cookware that I'm making. (laughs) And um, I happen to live about 15 minutes from a, a, a master tinsmith who, um, he, he's retired. He used to work at Harley Davidson and he does it for like, as a side business now that he's retired. And he took me under his wing and taught me how cookware was built in the 17, 1800s and how to do it. And then I was like, wait a minute, now I can make my own cookware. So I am a coppersmith that makes pots and pans and, you know, ladles. So I don't ask me to make you any jewelry. I know <laughs> lots of coppersmiths who make rings. I cannot I can make you a giant ham pan that is huge, but I can't make you a ring or, or a necklace. <laughs> so that's, yeah, now I'm the only, um, I am the only woman coppersmith in America who builds cookware. Nice. And how long did it start? Like, how long did it take you? How long, you know? Um, I started doing this cookware line about five years ago, and it's been about that same amount of time that I've been researching and then getting my hands dirty. So I don't know. Yeah. Five years or so. It's a bad, it literally is baptism by fire though. Can we find you in like Macy's? Where can we find you? Like what department um, stores? Online. Mostly I sell um, from my shop cause I build a little bit to order. So I can't, I, cause it's just me and there's a lot of hand process and I can't just have somebody make it for me because it's one of those lost arts where if I even can have somebody make me a pot, like then they have to tin it. Well, there's like right. five tins in America, me being one of them. So I have to, I make it all in my garage so I don't mass produce it. So it's all just on my house copper, you know, housecopper.com is where I sell it just because I, I can't, I can't wholesale. I'm too, it's just me and my garage <laughs> and my tools from 1810. <laughs> so- you do this on your downtime without your kids being there or how does that work? Cause I know you got kids. So. I do. Yeah. Well, they, and all they know is the shop, you know, they've only, they've been part of it for so long that, you know, when my daughter turned five, her, her request on her birthday was to be able to solder. So I was like, okay. Um, but they get used to it. I, I work when they're at school um, or at night, I close the garage doors and, use the power tools and things like that. So it's like every week has like half shop time, half right time. And then the rest of the time is managing the house and the farm and the kids and the, you know, you just got to compartmentalize your whole life. That sounds interesting. And so you've been doing this for like five years, you said, right? Yeah. So what is the biggest challenge that you have made out of all of your pots and pans? What is the biggest challenge? In terms of like a single piece I've ever done? Yes. It was um, the Jambonier, um, which is a giant French pan that is for mutton, like a whole leg of mutton, or you could do a whole leg of ham. And, um, and it's huge. It's another one of those. But it was one of those things where somebody said, here's a black and white photo from an old book that's all in French. I don't know French. And, um, and can you make one? Because nobody else in the world 
is making these. So the only ones around are like vintage pieces that belong to, you know, other people. They're just not for sale. You can't find them. No one's making them. And so when you get an order like that, like you have a photo and that's it. Like you don't have dimensions. You can kind of guess. And you like, you have to just build it from nothing but a sheet of copper. And so it took months because it was so big and there was, you have to prototype and build one out of cheaper tin. And then you have to like rearrange your, it's like, it's a big, and it ended up, I had to have Bob, the older tinsmith help me because some of it was like, you needed all four hands to do some of it because it was so big, but I was really happy with how it turned out. And so I just actually ironically heard from the guy who got it um, a couple years ago and he just emailed me and he's like, Oh, I still had the hand. That sounds interesting. So, like around Christmas time, that's your biggest holiday because a lot of people want to pay, buy the pants, right? Yes. And you have to. Yeah. So, do you do you start like early because of Christmas or what? Usually in July, I'll start building things. Um, I do a lot of like tinsel, like Victorian area. You know what they would have had during the 1850s for their Christmas trees, and I you know, make my kids help me. <laughs> I'm like, here, here's two, here's two, uh, uh, pliers and a bunch of, don't cut yourself too bad. Go. <laughs> and you'll get your allowance out of this way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I'm like, you get a dollar a box sold kids. You'll be fine. <laughs> there you go. Okay. I'll work. <laughs> yeah. Start, start, start the slave labor early. <laughs> so does your hands ever get tired of doing it? Do you get tired of doing it? Oh yeah. And I get injured big time sometimes. So that gets hard. Um, my hands are really, scar- you can't see it on the video, but they're really scarred and banged up. And, um, and yeah, I'll, I'll, or if I have to do a lot of hammering, my entire right arm um, will just go, it'll swell almost double its size. And my hands will stop working for a couple of days where it's just, you just dropsy because it's just your, it's muscle fatigue and everything like that. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of physical pr- fatigue and um, when you're lifting, I have, okay. Side story. Tell all the stories. Um, I uh, have a a sometime apprentice. She's a senior in college going for design and she wants to just get some hands-on knowledge about metal shop work. And so she comes a few times a month and I I said, okay, we're going to tin we're going to tin some pots and pans. So you have to start the fire, put on all the safety gear, and then you're going to like set a pot on the fire. And when it's hot enough, you're going to melt tin inside and you're going to wipe the molten metal around and like lift it up over your head and wipe the rest out. And, and then you'll be good. And so we started and she's like, and the pot was like maybe seven and a half pounds. It's not a huge pot, but it's seven and a half pounds. And she's trying to lift it. And I was like, you got to lift the pot. You got to lift it. You got to lift the pot over and she's like she can't lift it and she's like taller than me by like a foot and a half and she's like okay well I can do two hands and I was like no no no, you need a third hand to wipe the metal like you need you need and she finally gave up and I had to finish it but I forgot at that point like I'm so used to lifting huge unwieldy heavy pots from you know anywhere from a few pounds and ounces to like 15 18 pounds over my head with one hand and have you know metal pouring out on me while I do it and so uh you know it kind of reminded me yeah this is kind of dangerous yeah yeah we get hurt we get tired (laughs) other people probably can't lift pots over their heads I can't (laughs) so good we got heavy pots and I know what you mean because I, I can only lift like 10, 15 pounds and they're like huge and like, ah, so yeah. it's kind of heavy. 
And so my mom, she loves all kinds of pots and pans. I'm going to have to tell her about you, about how you make pots and pans so she can look at it. Because she loves different, she likes, you know, um, iron tail pots and pans and, you know. And so when I read about you, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a good story because I have a lot of friends that like to cook. So once they hear about you, they're like, they're going to check your light out and see your shop. And so my question is, so this is how you do it around the pandemic time. I know you're, you know, keeping your safe distance. Is Do you get more business because you're doing the pandemic or is it less or? Surprisingly, my business has never been busier. And I, that surprised me. I was expecting things to slow way down and instead it got so bad. I like broke myself trying to keep up and I've had to really maintain, um, cause I do a lot of restorations of vintage, you know, pieces that are hundreds of years old and fix up old pots. So it's, there's a lot of elements to it. And I was surprised, but then I realized, well, nobody's going out to eat anymore. Everybody's at home. So, People are, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, the, the hardest part for the pandemic, um, for me, a was, I almost had too much work. So that's not really a bad thing, but it was when I ran out of um, you know, my, my pieces, my raw materials, I couldn't get them in because um, mines were shut down, phosphorus mines, tin mines, silver mines. I'm so close to the actual, because I want to source so raw and I want to be able to tell you, this is the tin. It is made in Iowa by this guy. And I shook his hand. Like, I want to be able to do that. So I'm really close to the the supply chain from the earth. And that was that was a little scary. And now even watching like the copper prices climb, I'm like, whoa, we might have a problem. Like I may be able to get it and it might take an extra couple of months, but it might be so expensive for each sheet that the smelters do for me down in Texas. Like I can't, I can't afford what they're smelting for me. So I, I mean, we're not there yet. It's got a ways to go, but that is something I've never had to think about. I always kind of assumed it would be there, but the pandemic has really like juggled international trade and commerce and raw materials to the point where it's like, I don't know what'll happen in five years, you know? Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Cause like you said, a lot of people are now staying at home, cooking a lot. You know, I've been doing dishwasher like every two nights, you know, filling it up. And it's like, Hey, we never did this much dishwashing before, you know, cause usually we go out or, you know, and now it's like, okay, now we're going to stay home. We're going to cook because it's like the restaurants open, close, open, close, you know? They just relifted California back not too long ago. So we're, they're back at the restaurant. So who knows for how long, but yeah. That's right. Cause you guys, you, you've been a lot more locked down than we have been here in Wisconsin. Um, I, I, I mean, or I don't know if it's the whole state or just LA or where, you know. It's the whole state. So they open it up and then they close it back down. And then especially right around Christmas time, that's when they sit, you know, okay, we're back, close it down. Now they're lifting it up. But then you got the Super Bowl parties going on next week. <laughs> so we don't know what's going to happen. So, Well, <clears throat> Wisconsin, I'm sure the cities here, I don't spend a lot of time in Milwaukee or Madison, but uh, here uh, in the country, it is as if the pandemic never happened. That's nice. how life feels. Other than things are a little like you have to check if they're open. But like when I go to the feed mill to get like food for the bunnies and the chickens and all that stuff, they have never worn masks. 
Wow. The people that run that feed mill, they're like, if it's my time, it's my time. And they don't wear, I mean, you can, if you want to, but they aren't, they haven't since it started. And they're like, Hey, it's been a year. We never got sick. I'm like, because you're breathing in like corn all day. The virus probably goes in you and goes, "Uh uh-uh, there's too much corn in these lungs. I was like, I don't know. Yeah, here they made it mandatory. So it was like, you have to wear your mask. Oh, it was mandatory here for a little while, too. That doesn't mean that did it. I mean, it, it, it has been so bad that uh, they had the ICUs overflowing in California. And so, you know, I was supposed to have surgery last month. They pushed it back to this month because now the ICUs are kind of going down. So hopefully... Things could kind of get back to normal, but now we're doing the the, vac- the the shots for COVID, but not enough supplies are coming out here to California, and so it's like the world is a crazy place, isn't it? Right now, <laughs> it is. It is. It is scary. So you know. Well, so I find it. I mean, it's scary. I think to live in it, but hopefully, exactly. I'll live long enough to be able right. to to see what happened. So when I was, um, I kind of use this as an example, even though it's different, but um, uh, in the late 1800s, see, this is my book research coming, the, the pioneers that went West, occasionally they would get sick, some of them, um, and they right. called black measles. Not right. regular measles, black measles. And it only would affect random people, but it was like instant death. Like you got this in five to seven days, you're dead. Kind of a horrible death too. And it's like awful. And nobody knew where it came from. The Indians didn't like, you know, the Native Americans back that lived there, they did not have this as part of their like world. Only the white settlers would get this. And, and it was random and it would strike at random and come out of nowhere, but only in certain times of the year, you know, whatever. And anybody who was studying this, once they got going, would die of it too, because they figured it out. But anyway, it was, it's, it, now we call it Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. It was a tick-borne illness, but it was before people knew that ticks could bite and like had diseases, right? They didn't know about tick-borne illness. So it was this random arbitrary disease that would show up, disappear, infect some people, not others. Most people would die. They didn't know what was going on, you know, and the Native Americans didn't have it. So they couldn't like give tips because they were like constantly using sweet grass and like their homes and their clothes and they wore it. And sweet grass is uh, like as effective as DEET to repel right. ticks. So they didn't have Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever and, you know, we did and we were dying. And so, but I always think like, imagine that's essentially what we're living with now. We don't know anything about this. It's like rewinding the clock and trying to be a doctor and trying to live with this pathogen that comes out of nowhere. I mean, we know more now than we did in the late 1800s, but it's the same idea of like, yeah absolutely like no knowledge like even and the doctors back then they were like getting ticks and they would test the ticks and then the ticks would bite them and they would die like you couldn't have enough (laughs) doctors to study it and it's it's like that again and and I like always love history obviously but I'm like but I really didn't want to really like live 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 this part like it's yeah every every hundred years it happened so now we're going okay 1800 fast forward then you have you had the plague 
back in 1900s. Fast forward, COVID-19, you know, you got all this stuff going on. So they say his history repeats itself. So there you go. You know, like <laughs> it is changing so rapidly. And then you go back to history and then it's like, oh, okay, we're back to this again. Okay, what's going to happen next? So we don't really know. <laughs> Well, what they got rid of, uh, they got out of the problem with this one by what? Having another war? Let's hope we don't do that again. I hope not. Well, Sarah, my time's almost up. And I know your time is almost up because I have another interview at five. Sarah, so do you have a social media platform where they can reach you and where can they get by your pots and pans? Yeah, thank you for asking. They can find me online um, at House Copper on Instagram or House Copper and Cookware on Facebook. Um, and then the same thing, housecopper.com. Just just type in, you know, American Cookware or House Copper or even my name and, and you'll find me right away on all the platforms. And I don't know if you know that, but we are selling t-shirts on Thirdless. I'm going to send you my link. Uh, my wonderful graphic designer, Maxine Rodriguez, did our logos for us. So we're selling t-shirts for the awareness show. And um, you can find us on iTunes, iHeart, uh amazon music pandora spotify all those uh, platforms and youtube so check us out and matt thank you for introducing me to sarah i want to check up with you again later doing like a second interview see how you're doing with your business be like after the pandemic or like somewhere in between you know what i mean i do i'd love that michelle that would be awesome thank you for all having right. me. thank you sarah and i will send you the link after i'm done okay Editing. All right. Have a good one. Bye. Bye-bye. Yep. <laughs>